Jenny Bang. And we pretty much amazing. Hey everyone, welcome back to this week's podcast episode of Make Climate Cool Again, where we talk to entrepreneurs and leaders on how to make positive climate change. I'm your host, Sarah Miltenberger. Man, I am like loving adding music to the beginning of the show. It's just a throwback to the Kev Jumba days of YouTube. If you know who that is, that's like a throwback to the early days of YouTube. Um, but it just makes you want to dance. And this song just reminds me of summer and driving with all the windows down. Is that just me? Also, I cannot believe we are halfway through May. It's just crazy. I was talking to my friend about it and we both agreed that March felt like years and April and May blended together in just a few weeks. I'm not really sure what is happening. But I'm excited for summer because... May Climate Cool Again is going to be doing a summer speaker series. I'm going to be putting out more information as the programming is created, but partnering up with a bunch of different businesses to, you know, hopefully promote the work that they're doing and offer discounts for anyone who joins their events. So really excited about that. And I'm just happy the weather is getting nice, guys. It's everything to me to go outside. There's just so much more you can do, whether it's taking a walk, playing a sport, or just hanging out on your deck. It's a different space than being in your house. Even the sun shining through the window just makes it feel like a positive day. And it's hard to stay positive as the situation continues to go on. Self-care is evolving. So maybe take that opportunity to take that lunch break or a morning walk to get your blood moving. Give yourself that opportunity to have that time with nature. If you don't have a park, Maybe you have plants, or maybe you have fake plants with a candle by a window. Let's get creative. Honestly, if you don't have any plants at all, please follow Make Climate Cool on Instagram and DM me so I can send you a piece of seed paper that you can plant. Very important. So today's podcast is really great because Chris works for a company called Ecovadis, a platform that I work with a lot in my industry. And it's just all about what the heck corporate reporting for sustainability is and what environmental metrics are. We're getting into the nitty gritty of what tools are really needed for companies to have a sustainable business strategy. And I just felt that his experience was really interesting and really important to learn about. He grew up in Germany, one of the most forward thinking countries when it comes to environmental technology and innovation went to college in San Francisco, and then he went to the same grad program at Columbia as me, but we went at different times. If you haven't noticed already, you're gonna see a theme of my guests um, being from my program, doing cool things. That's just kind of how it works. Um, But, you know, corporate sustainability, or CSR, corporate social responsibility, or ESG, environmental and social governance, is just really important, especially right now. It's just a huge focus for banks and for businesses to manage future risks. It's hard to find an article on the economy right now without some kind of reference to ESG just because ESG indexes are doing better than regular funds. So it's just really interesting. And and again, sustainability isn't about using (laughs) recycled plastic and products, or it's not about just having a recycling program. It's about managing resources, right? It's about ethical choices, about operation, and it's about the long-term growth of a company and how it manages any kind of risk with a focus on climate risk and how climate change affects a business no matter where they operate or how they operate. So I just love it so much because It's so many parts, it's about a bigger meaning. I think most people just assume sustainability is about a a certification of a product or, or just recycling, but it's not. It's so much bigger than that and I think that's why it's so cool. So for this interview, as you know, I use Zoom. Um, I've tried to manage some of the uh, difficulties with Zoom in terms of connection, but I think this episode was really clear and really good. Chris is a friend of mine, and we were kind of just catching up before I planned on starting recording. And the conversation was just so good, I just started to record record it and just jumped right in. So 
I wanted to kind of preface the interview with that because you're not going to get a normal introduction immediately. You're just going to kind of hear a conversation and then we'll get into his background. So we're going to, we're going to be talking a little bit about the different kinds of sustainable, sustainability thought processes a bit before we learn more about Chris. So just wanted to preface it with that so you know what to expect. I hope you enjoy our conversation because Chris is awesome and I learned so much from him. Let's get it started. But I was thinking about how there's so many different kinds of sustainability people. Like there's sustainability people that are so like zero waste extreme. Then you have people that are more like hippie, like love your mama earth. Not that that's a bad thing. It's just a different like brand, I guess. And then there's some that are, you know, I think like more like me where we try to meet in the middle of being a sustainability person, but also having some semblance of a more normal life. Does that make sense? Like a more, it's like a middle ground consumer and sustainability person at the same time. Right. It's very hard. And that's, that's the challenge there is to define sustainability and meet people misuse the word sustainability and don't necessarily understand what it is. And, you know, consumers have used it in their advantage as well as producers, manufacturers. So there's really that challenge of it, it covering so many things that Mm -hmm. um, as a consumer, you just choose what you're passionate about and do as much as you can. Yeah. And that's why I always think sustainability is about systems thinking. It's just you have to be able to look at all these different parts and figure out how they're all related and how they all impact each other because doing this one thing has a domino effect in all these different areas. So, yeah, it's like kind of picking the one area you're going to focus on and doing it really well. Because everything we do, even the tiniest bit, is going to have an impact. Yeah, and, and it's going to impact the system overall because it's just one link in the chain, and like like impacting an ecosystem, right? W- taking one thing out or fixing one thing is going to have an impact on the entire system. So yeah, um, it's just we're we don't under fully understand the impact we're having, or consumers, even just one person doesn't fully understand the power and impact they can have. Yeah, and that's why you know I had someone on the podcast prior who is kind of like, it doesn't really matter. You could do nothing and it's policy that is what's going to make a difference. And I think it's important to impart on listeners that there's lots of different ways of thinking about it. I think doing, taking steps, you're not hurting anyone, right? You know, if you're using less stuff, that's only good for you because you're saving money. It's only good for all these different systems. There's nothing wrong with being efficient. Right. Yeah. So there's no yeah. reason to think that like, oh, I'm not going to go green because it's a waste of my time. No, no, no. It's it's just a good thing to be uh, like thinking that way. There, there's two things when I hear that argument that come to mind, which is it's the same argument for saying, oh, there's so many voters. My vote doesn't count. Right. Yeah. In, in the midst of all those millions of voters. And and at the end of the day, I choose to be a responsible consumer because it makes me feel good at the end of the day. I know mm-hmm. I've had an impact. And even though it might have been such a fraction of an impact, I'm, I can go to sleep while thinking, look, I made a healthy, conscious, uh, responsible choice. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a, like a psychological effect that people just discount as well. Yeah. I, um, for Earth Day, you know, I feel like all my favorite eco brands had sales and things. And I was so excited because it's like, okay, now is sort of my day to shop because I don't really shop that much. And yeah. it's like, okay, I get to, I'm going to buy a bubble tea straw because, you know, now I have a, tea, a straw that can be used for that and not have to succumb to the plastic ones or yeah. finally got a safety razor. I'm really excited and pumped about that. Um, and it's just like these little things that I think get you excited when you know you're buying something that is recyclable yeah. and is responsible. It, it just feels cool. Exactly. It makes it feel good. And that's, uh, that's, I think what consumers don't understand. It's like, oh, well, it does cost 50 cents more. It's like, why would I do that? Well, 
you don't understand that, you know, you're, it's kind of a rabbit hole that you fall into that in a positive way, you know? And yeah. And I, have a trickling effect. Yeah. I think when people start to really experience that or dive deep, dive deeper into that feeling of, of having a why of why you're doing this. Um, that's what I always say in my webinars. You know, when you're thinking about eco habits, like know your why, because that's is what is going to motivate you throughout your journey, whether you only make a few small changes or um, bigger changes is, you know, what's your purpose? Because that is going to also inspire you whenever you make those small changes and it'll feel good. Exactly. But I love this. And, you know, I think this is a really good transition into what was your like aha moment that led you into the sustainability world? Yeah. So uh, it began quite early. So I grew up in Berlin, Germany, <clears throat> where in school we, you know, take classes on in biology or geography around, um, you know, the Amazon rainforest or acid rain, all these environmental issues that seemed so vast and so, huge of an you know it depicted such a huge impact of mankind that we're having on, on planet earth <clears throat> and i remember as a teenager thinking this is horrible we got it we got to do something mm -hmm. but i just felt so helpless i felt helpless like i i there there was no tools given at the time that this is a career path you can choose so i kind of right. neglected it right i kind of just brushed it off and luckily in, in college i I stumbled upon a class intro to sustainable business and I was studying business um, for my bachelor and and I stumbled upon this and I realized you know I do want to pursue a career that has something meaningful that has an impact and I didn't even consider that business can be a player in the field of sustainability and this kind of just opened my eyes and I, I right then and there in the class I we, we went through concepts of finance of energy efficiency all these things that I can easily, as you know, a bachelor student, go into, understand more, and make my career. So, so that was really the aha moment. But that whole ten-year span of not thinking I can have an impact just kind of switched right there, and that was mm -hmm. that was a that was a pretty moment. And you were how old at that time? I mean, uh, probably from the ages of ten to fifteen, right? So yeah, um, that's so cool. Those are concepts that you learn very early on the environment and deforestation and so on. So, yeah. And I mean, I'm even just thinking culturally, like Germany is so far ahead in terms of uh, policy, innovation, technology. Like there's so many amazing things coming out of that country. And, you know, I think they're, there was a day that was really, I think it was last year that they were 99%, the whole country was running on renewable energy. Um, is it someday in the summer? But they're really pushing for that. I think that's amazing. When did you leave Germany? So I uh, was born and raised in Berlin, moved to the US for college. So I was okay. 19, that was in 2007. Okay. I moved to uh, San Francisco, which luckily was also a big city, and the transition was easier than than I thought. And I was, you know, instead of going to you know a small college in you know rural America, the transition for me was a bit easier. Yeah, and you went from one I would say progressive state to another essentially. I yeah, mean, exactly. So not okay. a huge difference there in just exactly. values. That exactly, and that that was also beautiful. But the one thing in California I noticed immediately is just. You know, Germans, especially Berliners, can be quite cold and direct. And I was just shocked when strangers were nice to me in California, especially <laughs> San Francisco. So uh, that was kind of a beautiful thing that turned me into who I am today as well. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love California so much. Like, I got to live there when I was working for Tesla. And um, I didn't live in San Francisco. I lived um, right on the Palo Alto Mountain View border, which... Again, like the culture was just so different than New York City where you just, everyone wants to be outside. Everyone just wants to be outside and go to farmer's markets and ride horses and bike. Like there's so many bikers. It's crazy. Yeah. And, <laughs> I think that's awesome. And nature is so remote, right? You have the ocean right there. So Californians just appreciate nature to mm -hmm. a certain degree more because even in big cities you have nature right there so yeah new york it's a little more difficult you know you have coney island or the beaches that still don't feel 
as vacationing, I'd say, or mm-hmm. as as really access to nature. It's just there. It's part of the city. Where yeah. you're really disconnected from the city in California, I feel like, when you go into the mountains. And it's so remote, which is which is lovely. Yeah, and I felt like when I was living there, I could just drive 20 to 30 minutes and I could be, you know, I would hike Mission Peak twice a week. Or you could drive 30 minutes and you would be at a body of water or a hike. Like there's just so much to do outside. And it's probably because of the weather is so good there, at least in Northern California. Um, Or is it Northern California? Well, Eh, it's kind of in the middle. So Palo Alto is like definitely still Northern California. We'll claim that. How about that? Um, did you miss the seasons at all? That's that's one of the things I noticed uh, immediately. Is there's no seasons. Yeah, I wasn't there long enough um, because I was only there for a summer before working for them back in New York and finishing up at Columbia. Um, so I only got to experience the summer months, but yeah. those summer months were amazing. <laughs> Um, I wish I could, I wish I could move back there, but it's also just like really far from my entire life. So so maybe someday, but who knows what the future brings exactly. Yeah. But I think what was really exciting when I met you was for anyone who, for those that are listening, um, Chris and I met because I was actually looking for someone who worked for a company called Ecovadis. I was looking to kind of learn more about this platform that is used for corporate sustainability reporting. And there are so many different reports or platforms out there. There's one called GRI, which is a global reporting initiative. Um, There's, you know, there's international standards of organization, which has a bunch of different uh, standards on sustainability and corporate governance. Um, But EgoVadis is one that's, it's not new, but it's growing because it has just gotten some really great clients that are kind of encouraging their partners to get involved and to use it. And what I would say, I'm also like pretty into the B Corp process as well. Ecovadis platform is just really easy to use and understand for a company that maybe doesn't have a sustainability team. So that was sort of our how we got introduced and we both went to the same program at Columbia and I would just, we've, we've learned a little bit about you, but maybe talk a little bit about why EcoVadis and why corporate reporting is so important. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so as, as you know, and as most sustainability professionals know, it's, it, it turns out to be quite challenging to actually find a meaningful job in the industry, someone, something that clicks with you, something that you know you connect with, and just to find in general uh, to make a living with, especially if you're just <laughs> you know from from bachelor from grad school, coming from you know not necessarily with a lot of job experience. So, I you know throughout grad school I was looking through internships, and I always kind of kept my eye out for companies and so on. And one that you know came to came to light was Ecovadas, especially because another coworker kind of interviewed with them, was in the process with them, and we were all talking. So I kind of took a look at it, and it, and it was quite vague. And a, a lot of sustainability ratings companies are quite vague to people. What does that even mean? What is the extent? <laughs> so and so I just kind of kept my eye on it and heard more and, and you know, threw out an application after I graduated. And I didn't hear back for a while, but then got the got the call finally. And it's it's really been you know highlighting I think the difference between Ecovadis is really the the verification of the question. I think there's a lot of questionnaire fatigue amongst the companies in answering sustainability questions, right? But what where Ecovadis stood out is you know we're hired as analysts to actually analyze the data and qualify the data and quantify the data to get a score instead of saying they answered this question check mark next and and that's where i feel like i can actually have an impact right so companies see the score they have that sense of you know action they they see where they can improve and so that kind of drew me into ecovadas and i think that's where reporting comes in right so when we're specifically talking about quantitative kpis and quantitative reporting 
you know, that's the key to understanding where you stand, right? If you don't measure, you can't manage. That's like a typical uh, quote from our program. Mm -hmm. And it applies here very well. But there's also that downside to it. You know, you can't just report and say, well, we're doing this, we're monitoring, great job. You know, and and where my passion come in, comes in is really more and more I want to see impact. I don't just want to see companies monitoring. I want to see them use that to have an impact, reduce their impact and so on. And But the first place and the first step is really just to measure. Yeah, and and for a lot of companies that, is that's the hardest part <laughs> measuring is extremely difficult you need to have someone doing that someone creating the systems and the tools to collect this kind of data whether you're in uh the market of making a product so you have to like keep track of all your shipping and you have to keep track try to measure your footprint of one product and multiply it by number of units that you're making and it I think, and also the tricky part, I mean, and I think with EcoVadis and with any corporate reporting platform, supply chain is probably the hands down most difficult section of reporting just because there's so much unknown. People don't know. You're getting a material uh, to a factory that's from another factory that's bought from another factory. Like there's the, the chain of command is out of control and it's very, very tricky. And I think that's when you see a company that's deciding to go through this process, it's kind of like a war. Like they're like, got to get all their tools and like, okay, we're doing all this work and we're trying to make an impact. But I also think companies that are even just trying to set those systems up, they maybe they're in their first year of trying to be a sustainable company. They're going to have less data than others. Um, but I think what's also good about these platforms is that they get that gets recognized mm -hmm. anyway because you, the framework is such that there's questions all across the board um, from the economics of the company from empl how employees are treated and whether they're trained and what kind of benefits do they get and it's not just about the planet it's really about is the company making ethical choices when it comes to operating. I think yeah. that's what some people don't understand. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, as a consumer, I think a lot of people always look at the big companies, right? The publicly traded companies. And that's where, you know, we can kind of shed light and help um, organizations that are smaller, medium, you know, that may not have considered this to be a material issue, the environment, the social the ethics, the supply chain issues. And what's what's nice is that, you know, we're not we're not saying what you should do. We're just showing where you can improve and you can pick and choose what areas to improve on. And and it's really not imposing this needs to change, more of here's some opportunities for you to become a more responsible and sustainable company. And um yeah, so that's that's kind of a a nice way to think about it. It's it's very much removed from consulting, more of a snapshot of your management system. Yeah. And I think what's also great is a lot of companies, you know, I just finished a report the other day actually. Um, and my client like sent it out to their clients and they got a lot of really positive feedback because no one had ever gotten a report from that type of company before. Like it was just, it's not really a thing that industry is not known for being really green. Mm -hmm. And I think what, what some of the feedback I got was for the first time there's transparency, even for the management, right? Cause CEOs, COOs, executives, they're doing their job the best they can. They're trying to manage all these fires and help their teams out in the best way possible. So they don't always, as much as they try, they don't always know all the different parts that are happening in one place. Like they know they're donating and they know that they're um, recycling, but they don't necessarily even have the, that transparency. And so these reports are just also a good way to know what's going on in your company yeah. in a really digestible document. Um, it's helpful for future business decisions. So I think regardless of it just being great for sustainability and, and if you want to apply to any of these platforms, whether it's GRI or Ecovadis, it's also just good to have as a, as a decision maker. 
Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because you know where, where you need to maybe make some changes or make some adjustments or things you need to work on. And, and it's always good to understand your own company's drivers and what is really pushing this. Is it coming from the consumer? Is it coming from your customer? Customers for, from your clients and for publicly traded companies, it's it always boils down to the shareholders. What do the shareholders want? What, how do you create most value for shareholders? But it's a little more complicated with privately owned companies, right? What is really driving that? It's an internal process. It's their decision making, and a lot of times the the customers or the you know the the clients come into play and they are driving this, right? So mm-hmm. that's where <clears throat> Ecovadas kind of brings in that pressure for, on the suppliers. So as a, as a customer of ours, we're assessing your suppliers. And so bringing on that pressure and shedding a light on these issues that a lot of companies that we assess haven't even considered, it's kind of like a, a, a trickle effect that we're, we're going for, and, and especially privately owned companies that might not have considered this a priority now realize that even co- companies and clients are looking into this. Yeah. And, and the other trick too is because sustainability is so viable in terms of consumer eyes, um, I was reading a study, and I don't know the exact percentages right at the moment. I should probably have these on hand for future. For interviews in general, good to be prepared. <laughs> um, is that, you know, because sustainability branded products do so well in the market, um, I think it's, they do, it's like over 90% they sell or the growth of the sustainability consumer packaged product industry has grown 90% compared to conventional products, which means there's demand. Um, I think that's from a Harvard business review study. And that being said is if there's demand, that means people want it and they're buying it. And that means that there's an incentive to companies that aren't green to also brand things as green because they want people to buy it. Not and, and natural. We all know that the word natural is a piece of shit. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Well, kind of. It's just useless. Um, there's just no evidence that something is natural. There's no regulations that allow for people to use the word natural. Um, but yet it is still being used. Uh, I see it all the time. And it's hard for consumers to know like what's green and what's not. And one thing I tell them, I'm like, well, if you want to avoid being greenwashed, go on the company's website, just like pull out your phone or go on their Instagram. If they're not talking about the planet in any way, it's greenwashing. Because if they're making all of the investments in whether it's sustainability reporting or whether it's a certification on a product, uh, they're going to talk about it because they right. need that, like that value add. Right. Right. So maybe have you ever, have you seen a lot of greenwashing with companies that are applying for, uh, EcoVadis scoring? I mean, permanently, permanently, especially <clears throat> greenwashing is more prevalent really in the, in the, the public large uh, fortune 500 companies. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have these big oil and gas companies that rebrand their, you know, title or their logo to look more green, literally. Right? BP, gonna... beyond petroleum. <laughs> your, your words, your words, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, a perfect example, right? And where it's, what gets interesting is, you know, there's no need in those, those small medium companies who, are, who just have business to business to greenwash. Um, but nonetheless, a lot of the sustainability departments are intertwined and are not necessarily there, there may not be a sustainability department especially in the u.s it's all about corporate compliance and governance and so on so it's really just okay we follow the law so we, we're good right and and that's that's kind of a pitfall in and of itself um that you know following the law on environmental regulation is the minimum of the minimum and those regulations are being deregulated more and more these days anyway so, yeah. i was about um, to say that means like nothing <laughs> Yeah. For the most part, like if people really knew, like especially in the beauty product world, I'm really close with someone who works at Beauty Counter and, you know, the U.S. government has only banned like 11 ingredients or something, maybe less than that for any kind of skincare, anything that you put on your body. 
And in Europe, it's like 1400 ingredients have been banned. And so you really can't trust the bare minimum these days, really. Yeah. And, and companies that just pump out these products that you rub all over your skin, 70% of which goes into your bloodstream and, and have a, a long lasting effects that we don't necessarily know the full effects of. That's scary. That's scary stuff. And the FDA or the, the government of the federal um, government pushes for corporations to, you know, or supports them more than, you know, double checking the effects that the products have. So that that is a great number to compare the, the regulated substances uh, in, in the EU and the US. That's kind of a great indicator of, you know, the burden is really on not on the on the corporations that produce these things. Mm -hmm. But for those people that are curious, it's like you should look for companies that have certification that are going through these corporate sustainability reporting structures because that means they're trying and they're really looking at their products and figuring out, okay, how can I be better? And, um, and they're creating their own standards for themselves. I think that's really key is, is yep. that they're trying to raise their own bar. And, and I think that's true for a lot of different um, sort of environmental industries is, again, like you said, the government isn't necessarily requiring any of this stuff. So you're seeing businesses step up and say, okay, we're going to raise the bar and, or we're the leader of this industry and we're going to make these kinds of decisions, make greener decisions so that everyone else has to follow. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of an example. Um, well, one of the, the things that comes besides to beauty counter is, is how do you identify greenwashing, right? So people that are not familiar with what are, what are those warning signs? What are those red flags? And I think in products, you, you mentioned very well, natural, natural products and so on. What does that mean? Um, or if you look into their sustainability report, as soon as you see something being really pushed as green, the sustainability page, the CSR page, and it has very little to do with their core business, then, then that's a red flag, right? Mm -hmm. Sustainability should be a component of the entire system, reducing the overall impact, whether it's you know manufacturing of certain products, how did you adjust your manufacturing line to be more efficient and so on. That's, that's not greenwashing. That's really taking meaningful proactive action versus saying, you know, we, we really changed to try to change the ingredient list to be more sustainable or more natural. What does that mean? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's kind of the, the, one of the main triggers and red flags is to see how close is their actual sustainability action to their core activity. Yeah. So even like for me, any kind of purchase I make, like I was, um, I was originally going to buy a car, um, like a month ago before all of this stuff went down and I really was only looking at like three brands because I printed and I printed out cause I knew they had sustainability programs. I printed out their sustainability reports. I know, so I was looking at Subaru, for example, and Subaru has literally a 90 page section of their annual report all on sustainability and like all on their data and what they're doing and, and how they're doing it. And it, it was so impressive. Mm -hmm. um, also, Subarus are quite expensive um, considering compared to other cars. But uh, I think that's part of it is, yes, you're paying a little bit more. And I mean... The Japanese culture is just known for being efficient. Like they just don't waste things the same way that other t brands and other countries do. The, they understood it as a smart business decision, right? They have limited resources or limited um, access or limited space or whatever the resource is that's finite. You know, the Six Sigma um, quality program and system is really something that's just makes smart business uh, makes smart sense you know so i i understand where that's coming from and it took a while to come here as well and i think a lot of people think that sustainability is the top of the you know corporate hierarchy where it's the last thing you know it's a privilege to worry about sustainability <laughs> 
Whereas really it's, it should be, again, it should be one of the first decisions you make in a company because it has long lasting effects and it has, uh, you know, sustainable effects, not no pun intended. Yeah. And it affects every level of the business and every decision and every position at a company. And I think that is, it can be why it is so hard to write, to build sustainability programs and write these reports if you're not inherently sustainable, right? So I, I like to, some, most people like look at reformation, for example, as like the pinnacle of, of a sustainable brand. They, and I've seen the founder speak uh, in person before and, and hear her story. And, and she comes when, when she talks about starting reformation, it comes from a place of, I mean, she already had had a business that was selling used clothing. Right. And then, and she was also selling a few new things and just like really started to understand the manufacturing process. And her whole company is built on doing it better. Right. So it's a lot easier for her to, talk about their initiatives and collect that data because from the beginning it was green when you have i'm trying to think of a same same size company um when you have a company like well really any okay any company that's the same size is making a product that all is now like oh we're, shit we got to be more sustainable and we need to make pivots. There's only so many pivots you can make without like breaking your whole business model or like changing up your entire product, which some companies do. They are like, okay, we're just going to like Volvo, for example, is just going to go completely electric at some point. Um, That's hard. And that takes time to get to turn your culture around and make those decisions. Whereas when it's from the ground up, it's a lot easier over time and that and but but i think a lot of companies are in that position where they're trying to like pivot into what am i doing and and it's it's scary and and it's scary because it's it takes a huge investment and they're they don't know if that investment is going to pay off right Mm -hmm. and most of the time it really does but that is a scary long-term multi-year investment um, that you have to get buy-in from from all all levels of the company, and to bring it back to you know your decision to buy a car, it think about it, in Germany VW was a powerhouse of the German economy. It was really the poster child of of the economy, really pushing electric vehicles, pushing um, energy efficiency, and you know if you're making a decision around affordable car that's also a you know respectable company look at what happened with the emission scandal so so there's so many sources that you sh- you need to look into if you want to make the right choice and i don't know much about subaru but it, it sounds like they have a lot going on in, in the sustainability field but if the only source is the sustainability uh, report i can guarantee vw has an excellent sustainability report Right. And so those are those pitfalls as a consumer that you can easily fall into. And the, the, the power that they have to communicate what their company is doing. And so those are just uh, some of the thoughts that came to mind when, when choosing a car. Well, it's funny you say that because the car I'm actually going to end up getting is a hand-me-down standard VW. There you go. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and, you know, and the reason why, I mean, this car is probably, I'm trying to think of how old it is. It's maybe six, seven years old. And again, used car, I was already going to buy a used car, but used, used cars are just better for the environment in general um, because you're not needing a brand new, brand new stuff. Right. Um, but one thing that my, my dad purchased this car, it was like, well, standard gets better mileage. That was why he bought it because it was like standard gets better mileage you know, he liked driving standard and now no one drives standard. You can barely find a car that's standard because automatic engines have progressed so much that they're more efficient than standard and they get better gas mileage than standard. And besides, no one knows how to drive standard anymore. So there's a really funny VW commercial where the guy like gets out of his Passat and 
his friend is like, yo, you going to lock it? Like lock your car? He's like, nah, it's a standard. No one's going to take it. <laughs> well, I mean, there's like yeah. other stuff in your car that you might want to protect, but I just think it's funny. And I have to now learn standard, which I feel like you would probably know how to drive standard. Um, Cause in Europe, standard cars are pretty standard. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Actually, when you get your license, I, I don't know anybody who got a license learning by by learning to use it automatic. I think we all use a shift, you know, uh, a, a clutch and a shift car because it, you, you learn how to drive it more efficiently as well. And it's more fun as well. So that's, that's just yeah. my five cents on that. I'm struggling, man. I'm struggling in learning how to drive it. Um, but it's funny that a lot of, I mean, I don't want to get too off topic, but it's funny that a lot of like my driving behaviors come from my dad in the sense I'm like crazy about efficiency. Like I like to see my average miles per gallon on like in front of me. Like I, every time I drive, I'm like, I'm going to get that number up. Like I yeah. coast a lot. Yeah. and I like, use hills appropriately, yeah. and I just, like, I'm crazy about car efficiency, yeah. and I, like, drive around with my friends and stuff, and they're not like that. They're like, vroom, 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 you know, yeah. and I'm like, oh, my God, you're killing your gas mileage. <laughs> it's a fun, it's a fun game to play as, you know, to compete against yourself, and it doesn't just have to be efficient driving. It could be like, oh, this week I used four plastic bags. I'm going to get that down or whatever it is. You can really just create into a game uh, around sustainability to keep yourself engaged and push yourself to do better. Yeah, no, I, that's a great way to look at it. I've never actually looked at it that way, but it is, it's like being competitive with yourself in terms of how you use things. And, and you know what, we all have a lot of time on our hands to, to play that game, especially because people are like stockpiling, you know, it's like, can you make that, those paper towels last longer and like challenge yourself to use less. And maybe we're, we're all in that mindset right now, which is not, not a bad thing. And, and buying in bulk, for example, it, why not Go find the bulk section of your grocery store? How, you know, try something new. I think that's, that's kind of what's beautiful and how I've applied the, the quarantine time that we're in is trying out new things mm -hmm. because the every day is just mo so monotone that in the kitchen I try new things or finding a new recipe figuring out that you know that crazy sushi dish I can make at home you know mm -hmm. um, and applying that to sustainability is just like buying in bulk and finding a resource or some sort of information on how people can create an entire you know meal or whatever just using no waste for example so kind of pushing yourself to try something new and keeping the day interesting or the week interesting is yeah a good way to go about it too and even talking about bulk so i went grocery shopping for the first time in over a month today so and, and if you think about today grocery shopping versus over a month ago like we were in very different places and even back then I had, um, I didn't have a mask on, but I had like gloves and I was wiping everything down. And one thing I noticed this time was I was at Whole Foods and Whole Foods was like selling their bulk dressing that they usually have in the salad bar. Um, they were selling that because they probably had it from before and that stuff is not really perishable. And you could buy the salad dressing in like this massive <laughs> container, which will probably last you three years. Um, I'm like, oh, that's actually like a really good idea. Like if your family eats a lot of salads, yeah. that's way more cost effective. I mean, and you want to balance things out with food waste, right? But I don't think we're really wasting a lot of food right now because we're all home mm -hmm. and we're all aware of what's in our fridge. And there's just like, more time to be creative with leftovers and things like that. Exactly. And, and for me, when I look in the fridge, I see, you know, the cauliflower, the, the, the broccoli or whatever's running low. It's like, Oh, I got to use that because you have that sense of, you don't want to go to waste because you're not just, you know, from a, from a environmental point of view, but also I paid for that. I should use all of it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and that's kind of 
fun too to figure out new things. And again, we have time on our hands now. It's time to try new things. You know, it's an opportunity to try new things. Yeah. Whether, you know, it's funny. I haven't watched like barely any TV in this quarantine. Like, well, granted, I have my own business, so it's crazy all the time, like trying to find new ways to pivot and whatever. But I, um, and I haven't even been on TikTok in like a week. So I'm like proud of myself because <laughs> I, a lot of my friends been saying like, Oh, have you watched this show or have you done this? I'm like, I yeah. just, I have not had time. Good for you. Good so, for you. Um, I, you're, you're in a good position to be busy enough to try and pivot. Like, and it's so hard and no, it's actually so easy to compare your life to others. When, mm-hmm. when Especially now. Yeah. When everybody has their form of struggle and, Honestly, we're just privileged to not be in a space where we're confronted with this virus all day, every day. So mm-hmm. we're really privileged in that and that we're healthy and so on. But everybody struggles. Everybody has their struggle. It's, you know, mentally, if it's with the routine. And, and so that's kind of the thing I recognize myself. I have to not compare myself to other people's struggles or issues. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I've been, like, pretty honest on the podcast about, like, my anxiety around all of this like I do not read the news um I read like the skim every morning like base base level news um because it's just too much it's too much for me to handle everything um but I think whether you have a business or not I think a lot of people are either looking for jobs or they're trying to do their jobs the best of their ability right now with the situation um we we do have kind of an opportunity to to try yeah try new things change things up if we're looking to save money there's so many ways you can do that um by switching to um like just things around your house to save energy and things like that i've did a webinar on that um but I don't know. Do you have any of tips that you do at home that you think are sort of like eco habits that other people could jump onto? Yeah. I mean, from all of the above that are, you know, familiar to people, I'm trying to reduce waste, trying to reuse uh, plastic bags as much as possible, trying to eat as much of what's in my fridge, not waste that. And, um, you know, kind of regrowing my own vegetables if it's possible oh yeah i want to do that Mm -hmm. and and that's easier than you think there's like hand you know green onions you can easily regrow they grow back really fast and there's so many resources online of just you know if you have a small apartment even that you can have certain containers that you can grow your own onions or your own green onions like those are simple steps and celery too yeah exactly celery quick growth so so to have your own little you know, vegetable garden in your kitchen is easier than you think. And uh, it's, again, just one opportunity to use the time that you have to be a little more resourceful. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I'm trying to think of some of my one tip that I always like is just putting an aerator in your sink or switching out like your shower head to one that conserves water because I think especially now we all like our therapeutic showers. I mean, for people that are showering, you know, like I know it's like every three days for some people or more than that. But when you do, it's like your, your relaxing time. So you don't it's saying like to make, take shorter showers. is just not in the cards for some people. But if you have, you know, an aerator in your shower head or in your sinks that actually it's, you're cutting water and you don't even know it. Right. So it's great. And you save money because you pay for your water and you pay for your water heater and all that stuff. It's like 15% of your energy bill. And it reminds me of what we talked before about, you know, the hope of this actually having a long-term impact instead of going back into our routines of, well, I'm going to, you know, go back to my habits that were before. And people seeing the impact this is having on the air pollution across the world you know mm-hmm. all, all the newspapers just show these pictures of these highly smart-ridden cities and now they're being completely clean of, of pollution and and you know I'm, I'm afraid that and we talked about this before I'm afraid that people will just be like okay well we had a month or two of this pollution-free 
environment, the environment is healed, I can go back to the worst pollution ever just because we have that, you know, a freebie. Yeah, I will say, though, that I think this is going to go on for long enough that, you know, it's that they say you only need 21 days to start a habit. Um, I even noticed that because I don't think I've ever been in one place for 21 days. Like I travel so much, whether it's, and I travel by train, don't like no one come for me. Um, or, you know, it's like, wow, I've like never been in one place this long. I actually like have a routine. This is amazing. Um, but I think that we might be in this for so long that these changes and, and again, the impact on the economy is going to be so long lasting that my hope is that people just like, they start to become ingrained and there's this, there's too much uncertainty for people to be like, I'm certain that I'm going to now do all these things, right? It's going to be a slow progression. And if we unlearn all the ha- the habits that we make during this time, it will probably, t- I feel like it'll take a while. I think that, that's my hope. That's my positivity um, in that, but it's definitely tricky. Um, yeah. So when I know we're starting to run out of time, um, and one thing I really love to hear from my guests on the podcast, because everyone just has different things, but we talked a lot about our eco habits and the things that we do to go green, but there, we all know that the system is not perfect for us to be even now perfectly zero waste. Zero waste is not a thing anymore. It's impossible. Uh, even zero wasters have talked about that. Um, what are some things maybe that make you kind of feel like a sustainability hypocrite in that maybe you buy something specifically that is just sort of a, you love it. It's a self-care thing, but it's not sustainable or, and I'm going to say avoid travel because everyone says that and that's too easy of an answer. Yeah. 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 Um, no, it's, it's a great question. And I think it is almost impossible to be perfect in this space. There's always some product or some impact that is going to be not great for the environment or for the people and so on. And I think for the longest time I was excusing my, my dietary choices by my professional, you know, career by saying, you know, I'm, I work in sustainability, so I deserve to have my burgers or my, you know, my meat or my chicken. And, and finally, like I've, I've, this year and in the end of last year, I just decided to reduce my meat intake. And, and, and that has just kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities of other diets and, and choices. And I, I just, you know, again, as we're talking about habits that didn't take long to kick in and didn't turn, take long to turn into habit. And I've, and it feels rewarding, not because it's, you know, healthier as well, but, it, you know, I, I can, I can see that impact and I can see that that choice is just kind of um, a, a positive feedback. And, and in the past, I mean, it took me, yeah, 31 years to realize that, you know, this is so impactful. And so in the past, I've always treated that as just like, well, this is my freebie, that mm-hmm. burger or that, the, the chicken or the beef or whatever it is. And it's, it's a nice slippery slope into other areas of diets, you know, that, that can have an impact on, on your sustainable choices. Yeah. And we, we briefly talked about like your pet peeves a little bit, but, mm-hmm. you know, especially because people listen and because pet peeves are typically something that's so easy. I think one of my favorites I've heard so far is people that double cup. It's, it's, uh it's just one of the examples of all the things that were given without question when checking out anywhere that, you know, we really don't need. And we're just used to that level of comfort and convenience when really it's not comfort or convenience, it's just shoved in our face without yeah. a choice. And so it really has to start with the business. Don't add 14 napkins and knife and fork and spoon for, you know, a salad I'm going to eat in the office. Right. You know? And, and so, it's it's those small things that are always a pet peeve of mine but uh yeah so i I, nothing specific comes to mind just because there's you know i guess the the attitude of nihilism right the that i Mm -hmm. mentioned before of um you know 
well, me doing this really doesn't have an impact or same as my vote doesn't count because there's so many people that are, you know, it won't have an impact. So that's kind of my pet peeve that that nihilistic approach of whatever I do doesn't make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. We all, I, and there's something that I like to say to myself is, you know, maybe I can't change the world, but I can maybe change one person's world. And that means a lot because think about one other person and all the number of choices that they make in a day. And if you can even have any small influence on any of those choices, like it really is a domino effect and it seems small, but again, it really, it's huge. It's huge when you can make that much of an impact with one person and every day, if you make an impact on one person, like that is huge. It's like paying it forward, right? It's that concept. And, and it's, it's exactly that. It's even just reducing, you don't have to change your entire lifestyle. For example, I go back to the meat eating or the the veganism and I, I'm, I'm not telling people, Oh, stop eating meat. It's the worst. And, And I hate that full approach because nobody will listen. I, you mentioned just reducing, maybe reward yourself or take it to three times a week instead of five times a week. And just reducing has a huge impact and people don't realize that. You don't have to make a choice to be this or that, but a small change over time can have a bigger impact. And that's kind of where I, what I did. I, I, I love my burgers, you know? Mm-hmm. And if I can reduce that to once a week or once a month or once a semester, like that, that has a huge impact. And I want people to understand that even the slightest change, the slightest reduction can have, um, you know, create change. Yeah. You know, people that maybe love their burgers. I, oh my God, I used to order, that was like my go-to order restaurants because it wasn't too expensive and it was filling, but you can be happy without it. I promise yeah. <laughs> like your life is not going to be miserable. And like, there's so many good, I eat veggie burgers all the time. Yeah. Um, and they're really good. Like they're like, they have the a lot plant-based- the, They're the so flavorful. Yeah. The plant-based so, substitutes now are coming out and, and those are great too. So there's alternatives. Give it, give it a shot. You know? Yeah. I had um, someone on the podcast, um, Jessica Carr, who is a consultant. She worked for Impossible Foods for a long time. And now she's a, so if you guys are interested on the podcast, go check out that episode because she studies like the chemical, um, like flavor chemistry and understanding like how certain taste molecules like combine with other taste molecules to really make fake meat taste amazing or like have like really good textures and things like that. So she actually was telling me she eats a lot of meat because she needs to like figure out how to make it taste the same as vegan burgers. So it's very fascinating. Um, And there's, a lot of science behind it. So people should check it out. But Chris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and just chatting with me. And, you know, this has been a long time coming, but I definitely feel like with people in my industry, we work in the kind of the same area. There's so much we have in common and it just feels like good knowing that there's other people out there doing similar work and like making that difference. I don't it's know. a positive. It's a positive feedback loop, and talking to sustainability professionals really just gives you that extra boost of you're you're not alone. And mm-hmm. so no, it, it was my pleasure. And no, thank you for having me. Great, thank you so much. And I hope that you stay safe. Um, are you? In, you're in Brooklyn. I'm in Brooklyn. I'm in the, the hot zone. But yeah, yeah. I'm so far. I'm safe, and you know, all is well. Yeah. Well. I hope you continue to be okay and um, hopefully this ends soon. Thanks, Chris. I never thought I would deliver no classics. Then I hooked up with them and they delivered no classics. I've been keeping it true. Hotel good, long as I can be with you. Like, like, damn, how high are we? You gotta gamble in this life, Charles Ball. I'm overprotected through the dopest of methods. Now my vocal perfected. This is audio breakfast. Yes. So tell a hater, here's the slammer I know they hating on us, but mind your manners